Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and I am delighted to welcome as my conversation partner, uh, Joel Woodruff, the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute. Joel, welcome to Questions That Matter. Uh, thank you for having me, Randy. Well, it was, a, it was a tough decision about whether we wanted to let the president of our institute on our podcast, but, but uh, you, you won the vote, the straw poll. Uh, let me tell our listeners a little bit more about you. I think a whole lot of our listeners do know about you, that you're the president of our institute. Uh, they may not know, um, uh, Joel has worked in higher education, in nonprofit administration, uh, in pastoral ministries, in a variety of locations, Alaska, Israel, Hungary, France, and here in the Washington, D.C. area. He's a graduate of Wheaton College and then also has a seminary degree from Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and then a doctorate in education from Nova Southeastern University. So um, what I, I, I so appreciate, um, Joel, that you bring to our conversation and our work about discipleship of uh, a, a mind of, of education. How, how do people really grasp this? So certainly have a high value for theology. Let's make sure that we're, we're conveying truth. Um, but you, you're always pressing and pressing me, I, I'm very grateful to say, in a direction of um, how do we help people really grasp this, not, not just intellectually understanding it, but really embrace it. So um, uh, you've written a, a recent guidebook for discipleship. It's called Discipleship with C.S. Lewis. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote that book. Well, Randy, uh, as you know, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis has had such a huge impact uh, on the world uh, through his writing and uh, in particular through the book Mere Christianity. Uh, and Mere Christianity, in fact, was named by Christianity Today to be the most influential Christian book of the 20th century. Uh, but what I found is that uh, there were many people who had Mere Christianity on their shelves and they would uh, I'd ask them about it, say, you know, have you read it? And they'd say, well, you know, I started it, but it was a little too philosophical and too difficult to get into. And then I had others who read it and say, well, it changed my life. And so I began to wonder what, what's going on here. And uh, uh, and so as I looked into it, I realized that uh, C.S. Lewis in writing this book starts off very philosophically. Uh, and um, it is a little bit difficult to get into that first section of mere Christianity, which, which actually is divided into four parts. And that first part is more philosophical in nature. So I thought, what if we were to start in book two or part two of mere Christianity, which really jumps right into what Christians believe and is much more concrete and easy to follow uh, and create um, a study of mere Christianity that would include biblical passages. One uh, thing that I realized as well is that uh, Lewis, of course, was speaking to uh, the British during World War II, but he didn't doesn't really quote scripture in mere Christianity, even though he's expressing Christian truth. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to create a discipleship manual, really, which would look at the biblical passages that are behind mere Christianity, but and also then uh, leverage Lewis's amazing writing for that, and then bring this book back into the lives of people here in the 21st century, because I think it has a lot of value and can be very helpful to people. I love it. I love it. I, I think it's it's something that has been needed for a very long time. Um, you're exactly right. Lewis doesn't necessarily quote scripture because he was doing these as a series of radio broadcasts and was really hoping to capture a listening audience of people who were not Christians. And um, so that, that whole first book or five or six uh, radio broadcasts, 
he was just trying to grab people and say, uh, I, I, I hope you'll consider this. I hope you'll move from no, not at all to hmm, maybe I need to think about this. Um, so I, 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 I like the structure of your book. You, you then do have kind of like an appendix about that very first book, uh, Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. So you, you, do, you do look at the whole book, but not necessarily in the order that people might uh, just read it. Um, what, what do you think it is about this book that lends itself for discipleship? You know, it's interesting, Randy. I think a lot of people for a long time thought mere Christianity was more a book you give to non-Christian friends as a, an evangelistic tool or an apologetics book. Uh, but um, if you open it up and look at it, really the first two parts, are they really are more evangelistic. You have right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe and apologetic for even considering a belief in God. And then the second part is what Christians believe. And People might be surprised, but C.S. Lewis really has an altar call really right in the middle of, the, of that book uh, where he just says to people, look, today's the day. Uh, you may not have the opportunity to, to choose Christ uh, tomorrow. And so uh, now's the time to make the choice. So those first two parts, he really does introduce people to Christianity. It's more evangelistic, but books three and four in your Christianity really are a discipleship training manual. Uh, there he gets into how to live as a Christian, what he calls Christian behavior. And he looks at things like the golden rule, the great commandment, uh, the seven virtues, uh, social morality, sexual morality, Christian marriage. Uh, and then um, in, the, in the very last book, he gets into an introduction into basic theology, uh, looks at the Trinity, and also uh, really looks into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, one good thing about C.S. Lewis is he understood Jesus' call. Uh, you know, when Jesus said, if, if you want to be my disciple and follow me, you need to take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow me. Uh, Lewis understood that, that uh, he didn't have an easy believism or a, a cheap grace at all uh, mentality. He realized that when Jesus calls us, he calls us to be all in. And uh, he does a great job of, I think, uh, really uh, helping new believers and as well, I think, mature believers uh, get refocused and, and understand what discipleship is all about in the second half of the book. You know, um, that second book um, in uh, Mere Christianity, What Christians Believe, has been published as its own separate little item. It's a really nice hardback edition, only, I don't know, 50 pages or so. And I've used that as a uh, uh, something to give to non-believers because it really doesn't scare them off because it's so very small and manageable. But it really is the heart of what we would want a non-believer to understand. Uh, I do think the first book is really more where a lot of non-believers are and where they need to be connected. But you're right, it is a little on the academic or intellectual side, and it may scare off some people who would never get to part two. But um, even so, um, what um, I'm curious about your own walk with the Lord or your own discipleship as you worked on constructing this book and writing it? How did how did that affect you? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question, Randy. I think, um, you know, uh, for a number of years, I was looking for uh, really a tool to disciple others, to disciple people, family members, uh, people in your church, uh, new believers, uh, young believers, even older believers. And uh, obviously, there's not always one size fits all. But as I began reflecting upon Lewis's writing, Mere Christianity, I thought, wow, you know, Mere Christianity actually could be an amazing discipleship training tool um, for 
for even mature believers, people who've been in the faith a while, and because he really covers a, uh, really a lot of the essentials of the Christian faith, but does so in a winsome way, in a way I think that is very relative to today's world. And so as I began to, to do study for this book and do the research, I began to realize that the world that C.S. Lewis lived in, uh, while being 80 years ago when he first did the first broadcast talk from this year, uh, while being a different world, had many of the same features of our 21st century world here today in post-Christian America. And so for me, it helped me to realize, I think, first of all, um, getting better understanding for the world we currently live in, for myself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, we live in a world right now where we're, we're dealing with uh, division, <laughs> the division everywhere. In, in Lewis's world, World War II, there's a lot of division in Great Britain at the time. Uh, we see in our current 21st century, recent years, I think we've gone from 9% of people who would call themselves atheist, agnostic, or nothing, to 26% of the population now. Well, Lewis was living in post-World War I Britain, uh, which many people had abandoned the faith and either become agnostic, atheist, or just didn't attend church at all. Many people were disillusioned uh, with Christianity uh, in some ways because uh, the British government had kind of mixed uh, nationalism and Christianity in such a way that it just became kind of hypocritical to some. And, and, and I think we've seen that as well sometimes in our world today as we sometimes we see mixing religion and politics creates a, a dissonance for some people. And so we realized that Lewis was living in a, a world of many diverse world points, worldviews. And, and so uh, it helped me really to kind of analyze the world we live in and help my own disciples to realize uh, Lewis actually has some wonderful things to say to our world today. It almost seems prophetic uh, and insightful as if he was writing it today. In fact, I was doing this study with uh, several 20-somethings recently, and they said, wow, did he just write? You know, it seems like he just wrote this book yesterday, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yet it's still yes. relevant today. So I think for my own yeah. discipleship, it was yeah. just this sense that, you know, I, I helped me really to look at my own world and culture and, and also realize that truths of the gospel are timeless. And I need to continue to reapply those truths in my own personal life. I mean, things like the golden rule or the uh, great commandment are things I need to review myself daily uh, and look at. And, and some things we forget how simple in some ways the Christian faith is, even though it can be complex to live out. You know, I was um, uh, looking over mere Christianity again um, in prep for this time for our conversation. And there's always two. There are always two things that strike me about Lewis's approach uh, in in these series of radio broadcasts. The first is he used so many analogies. He wanted people to not not just understand the gospel, but but to feel it or to to envision themselves in it. So he just has all of these. Uh, uh, analogies, illustrations of becoming a Christian is like waking up from a sleep and realizing that you're awake. Uh, becoming a Christian is like uh, stone statues coming to, to real life. It's like full speed astern. <laughs> um, there's just so many of those. Uh, but the other thing that, that strikes me that I think is we need to have more of both in our evangelism and our discipleship is is sharing our own experience and even even in a uh, self-effacing way. So let me let me illustrate it from one place in his chapter on forgiveness. Um, he writes, "I remember Christian teachers telling me a long long ago that I must hate the bad man's actions, but not hate the bad man, or as they would say it, hate the sin, but not the sinner." 
For a long time, I used to think this is a silly straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing this all my life, namely myself. <laughs> I love that. And then, as, as just to put the, the right exclamation point, he says, in fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Hmm. So, so it, it has to work that way. But he, he unpacks it and, and admits his own, you know, at once I didn't understand this or this didn't make sense to me. And he says, years later, um, which I think just implies a humility that, that we need. Anyway, I'm trying to sell C.S. Lewis's book instead of your book. Your book um, on sale at all places where people can buy books. Uh, check it out on Amazon. No, anyway. Um, um, what, what, let's kind of step back about this, this topic of discipleship. You have quite a vantage point as our uh, president of our institute because you know of all sorts of things going on around our country with various different um, uh, fellows programs, intense one-year discipleship programs, but not just in our country. We also have a, a, a work in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and now we're also seeing some things open up in other parts of the world. G give us a, sort of a report from the front line, so to speak. What are you seeing about discipleship in these other places? Mm -hmm. No, it's a good question. I, um, I'm, I'm really excited about what God is doing in the world today. Uh, we live in this kind of crazy uh, COVID world, and, and it's and it's created, I think, uh, of course, a lot of anxiety, tension. Uh, it's forced people to change their lifestyles uh, and uh, stop doing things they used to do. Uh, they've been locked down, but I think in the process, God has been moving on people's hearts in in new ways. And I'm hearing stories of people coming to faith. Uh, um, uh, because suddenly they're locked down and they're actually having conversations with their neighbors and uh, their Christian neighbors are now have the opportunity to to share the gospel with them, to, to develop relationships with them. And uh, so that's been very encouraging uh, to to see that uh, in that sense. I mean, my own neighborhood, I know someone who's come to faith in Christ because um, things changed and, and they began thinking about life and now uh, are a believer. And actually, we've been working together through this discipleship with C.S. Lewis book now uh, to, to get grounded in the, in the core discipleship. Um, I know many of the people in our C.S. Lewis Fellows Program, we have about 500 people in 16 cities going through this year-long discipleship program. Many of them are finding that this COVID time has helped them to draw closer to Christ, but also I think has given them courage to reach out to others in the name of Jesus and and to share their stories. And I think one thing you mentioned here, uh, Lewis did a great job of sharing analogies and stories from his life, uh, which actually is what, uh, when you read the Bible, that's the great thing about the Bible, is that it's stories, so many stories, Jesus telling parables and stories that connect with people. And so I think we're finding that many of our Caesar's fellows are, are now able to use their own story or their testimony, and they're able to share it with many people today who they might not have been able to in the past uh, because they have, have a captive audience sometimes, literally. Uh, but also I think there's a hunger for relationship and more people, some people more willing to listen. So I think it's a wonderful time as believers start paying attention to our neighbors, people you run into, uh, whether it's even on Zoom call. Uh, be a, just ask them some questions. Uh, You've been having a book, I think, about questions. It's not too bad called Question Evangelism. And it's an important time to really 
ask about how people are doing. And, and I think you'll begin to find that there's a, the longings in their heart are beginning to, to, to rise up. And of course, Lewis talks a lot about in his own life about that longing for something more. Uh, that that rises up you know you have a uh, hunger so you have food uh, you you know a duck uh, has a uh, web feet and can swim but there's also longings that, that we have it, that aren't satisfied in this universe so uh, lewis says we must be created for something more and i think people are realizing that that they're created for something more the mortality of life has hit people with this covid epidemic pandemic and uh, I think it's forced people to think about the bigger things in life. So I think it's a wonderful time to be a believer because we do have good news to share with others. Uh, and we have the opportunity to tell people that, you know, there, you, you can actually have eternal life with Christ. But not even that, you can have a life full of joy and, and a way of living t- today that will give you hope for the future. So it's a good time for believers, I think, uh, even though it seems like a crazy world, it's a, a great time uh, to, to make new disciples for Jesus Christ and also to help others grow more deeply in their faith. I'll return to my conversation on questions that matter in just a second, but I, I would like to invite each and every one of you to prayerfully consider becoming a ministry partner with the C.S. Lewis Institute. Our ministry is about discipleship, discipleship of the heart and mind, helping people love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Um, But as you might guess, a a ministry of discipleship is not always the most exciting thing that uh, people consider. Um, But we, we believe that your tuning into this podcast probably indicates that you've had very positive experiences and have benefited from the Institute over the years. So please click the button that says donate and become a ministry partner with us. Um, your subtitle of your book says it's a, it's a guide to mere Christianity for small groups and mentoring relationships. So you have in mind both a small group setting and also a one-on-one setting. I, I won't ask you the question of which one is it better for, because you're the author and you think both are really good, but um, uh, but which one do you think it's better for? <laughs> I'll <laughs> well, put you on the spot. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I think one reason I wrote this book, I wanted, uh, I, I had this vision. What if everyone in a local church congregation read Mere Christianity along with Bible passages that, that gave the principles behind it? They understood the rationale for the Christian faith is presented in mere Christianity in the Bible. And then we're able to go share that with their neighbors and colleagues. Because I think every if everyone really could share the gospel the way C.S. Lewis did in mere Christianity, and then also share the basic fundamentals of the faith, essentials of the faith, you'd have a, a well-equipped body or army of people, I think, who could then go into uh, the world and share the gospel. And so for me, uh, while I uh, have found that certainly helpful, I, I think something about groups of two or three or four people are a nice size because you can... You can really zero in together, and especially you can do a Zoom call these days with four people and have maximum engagement. Uh, uh, educational theory has shown that for a Zoom call, more than four people, you lose engagement. But you could have a group of friends, non-Christian or Christian, uh, go through discipleship with C.S. Lewis and study more Christianity and the Bible passages, and they could really grow, I think, and be grounded in what it means to live for Jesus Christ in today's world. And uh, the nice thing is about it, you can do that with uh, non-Christians, Christians, new believers, uh, old believers. And I think there's still a lot of power there. So I, I'd say both are uh, useful. Um, so, But I think there is something very powerful about taking two or three people 
uh, through this book and through the Bible. Mm. Were there any topics that you felt like, okay, this is absolutely essential for early discipleship that Lewis didn't address and you felt like you needed to inject that? Uh-huh. No, that, that's a good, good question. Uh, you know, it's funny. He talks um, uh, a, a little bit about the need to study the Bible and pray, but he doesn't spend as much time maybe on some of those spiritual disciplines. So that's why built into the study is, is regular Bible study, grounding one in the Word of God. And I think part of that was intentional. Mere Christianity, of course, as we mentioned, were a series of radio broadcasts. So he didn't really have the time. He was given a very small amount of time, I think 15 minutes per broadcast to cover a lot of ground. So I think rather than quoting a lot of scripture, you know, he was mainly dealing with the principles. But I think uh, where uh, where mere Christianity can be shored up is is through these Bible passages. And so that's why I've, uh, in discipleship with C.S. Lewis, really tried to include uh, a good key passage in Scripture that deals uh, with the issues. Uh, one surprise too, just I don't I don't think I've mentioned this um, in what Christians believe, or where Lewis jumps right into. Uh, he talks about worldviews, and I think it's a good apologetics piece for helping people think about all the different worldviews out there. In today's world, we have Muslims, New Age, Hindu, Buddhism. I mean, my kids' school, they, uh, you know, my daughter had a book club, and it was eight girls. And I think there were six different religions represented in that little book club. But what's interesting is he deals in book in chapter two with sin, Satan, and evil. He deals with the problem of evil immediately, the most challenging problem probably for any of us to deal with. But I think the reason he's able to deal with it, he goes with the biblical uh, explanation. But this is where I think it can be shored up. We can go right into Genesis and look at the very beginning of the Bible, where G, where God really gives us this picture of evil entering the world through Satan, through the temptation, through sin, Adam and Eve. And that's the beginning of the Bible is the problem of evil. But I think oftentimes in our, our modern day world, we want to avoid that topic because we know it's difficult. And, and so a lot of times our evangelism, we don't even deal with that till later. But it's interesting. It's Lewis just jumps right in. He says, look, let's deal with the problem of evil and suffering right up front. And then that leads to then his explanation of the gospel. So I find that to be uh, uh, maybe counterintuitive in today's world. And yet I think it's very effective. Um, but I think it can be shored up with uh, Lewis's writing. McCrishay is shored up when you actually get into Genesis and look at the, the, the beginning uh, of the Bible. Oh, I, I I really want to emphasize that point. Um, uh, it, it is interesting that uh, we tend to shy away from that issue because it's just so disturbing and and so big and problem. And I think if we're honest, that even if we do the most brilliant job on that issue, there still is a frustration and an incompleteness that we have in this fallen world. Um, but but Lewis knew that, well, e even though it's difficult, it, it is a very, very important starting point for a lot of people. And, um, you know, he wrote the book, The Problem of Pain, before these radio broadcasts. That's kind of how he got sort of famous. And that's why the BBC contacted him and said, hey, we think you'd be a good person to come on the air. Um, it's also, it's such a crucial part of Lewis's own story. I mean, he abandoned the faith of his childhood because his mother died when he was just 10 years old um, and and then you know fought in world war one and saw the evil during world war ii and said i i i think i've got some answers now that now that he'd become a christian for people 
while bombs are dropping outside and while they're waking up in the morning and looking to find out whose house was still standing. So it was that whole climate of suffering into which he wanted to speak. And I, I think that's really tremendously valuable that we, we shouldn't shrink away from it. Um, I, I think we've got the best answer. I think our answer is still incomplete. Um, uh, it still leaves a whole lot of questions unresolved, but our incomplete answer is far better than the other ones. Um, yes. Uh, Lewis even says that atheism is too simple, <laughs> and he had <laughs> and he right. had the right to be able to say that because he was an atheist for thirty plus mm-hmm. years. Yes, um, that's right. Well, um, I, I, I I'm almost uh, reluctant to bring this up, but I but I have to. Uh, so, were there places where Lewis was wrong, and you felt like you needed to correct? You you wanted to warn your readers that ooh maybe this was a a, a mistake. Were there any of those places for you? Yeah, no, that's that's a, a good question, uh, Randy. Uh, first of all, I want to want to say, I suppose, in, in um, defense of C.S. Lewis, he himself would have acknowledged that he wasn't a theologian, he wasn't a trained pastor or clergyman. So, on the one hand, I think that helped him because he was able to express things in in the way that maybe a pastor or a trained theologian wouldn't. So he's able to relate to uh, everyday people, and he picked up that skill in part by. I think part from growing up in Northern Ireland uh, with uh, a wide variety of people, but also by speaking to airmen in the Royal Air Force during World War II, he was able to bring kind of that, his intellectual mind down to, in a down-to-earth way of communicating. So I think on one hand, it was a good thing he wasn't trained in that sense, although he was very well read. I mean, he, he read Greek, uh, so he's trained probably better than a lot of pastors as far as his knowledge of the, the New Testament language. Uh, he was able to uh, study and, and, and knew a lot about what he's talking. However, I think probably when it, it comes to the one area uh, that I think a number of uh, scholars and pastors have pointed out, when he talks about the atonement um, uh, in uh, what Christians believe, you know, uh, the idea of Jesus dying for our sins and then that uh, creating uh, atonement for our sins, he he basically says, look, I, uh, I, I don't really understand all that uh, that well. And, and here, here are a couple of ways of thinking about it. Uh, but, you know, if you don't you understand it, don't worry about it too much. But I think it's probably something we, the Bible does address it pretty clearly that there's so, there several different ways we can look at it. Uh, there's the, um, I think, a sense of a substitutionary atonement that Jesus actually is our substitute. If you see the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament leading up to that is showing that Jesus shed his blood as the ultimate sacrifice for a sin. And I think that's something worth uh, addressing a little more in depth than what Lewis did uh, and um, paying a ransom for us. Uh, there are many different expressions in scripture. And so I think he, um, I think in trying to communicate to his audience, you know, the important thing is that you put your trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You don't need to worry as much about the theology. I do think it is important for us to reflect a little bit more on that as believers. Um, uh, another area uh, that I don't think he's this, he, he's not totally wrong, but he, he, it's interesting. He has a chapter in book three on Christian marriage. And I think most people who would read that today would feel he's maybe a little chauvinistic. He's kind of writing from a 1930s, 40s, 50s British perspective of the roles of men and women. And so uh, some people would read that and maybe think he was, uh, you know, uh, a little chauvinistic in the way he wrote about marriage, although he, he covers the essentials in that. And of course, I think in there, we, he, he would probably argue that we were being chronological snobs. He kind of talks about uh, chronological snobbery, which is basically taking our current worldview and judging someone in the past 
uh, perspective, not understanding the world they lived in. But I think that's one area. He also has an interesting, he has one chapter on time, uh, philosophy of time. And that one, he just says, hey, look, this is mere, pure speculation, <laughs> nothing biblical about it, but maybe if it's helpful to you, so be it. So I think, you know, throughout the book, there are little things like that, but overall, uh, I think he's very, you know, fairly solid and is really trying his very best to give you a, a biblical view of Christianity. I hope you're benefiting from listening to these podcasts and, and I hope you're also availing yourself to the many resources we have at our website, cslewisinstitute.org. I, I do want to say that the C.S. Lewis Institute ministry is um, by definition, by design, not a terribly flashy ministry. We don't have spectacular results to report. If, if we're successful and fruitful, um, the, the results of our ministry are usually second and third hand. We, we disciple people and then other people go do pretty flashy and amazing things. So I, I hope you'll keep that in mind as perhaps you pray and think about becoming a ministry partner with us. We're, we're seeing God do some great things through the people who get discipled through our fellows programs and different uh, resources. I hope you'll consider that and visit our website and click the uh, appropriate buttons that say things like donate. You know, I think you and I have joked a couple of times that we, we're not really sure we'd be able to hire C.S. Lewis to come work for us at the C.S. Lewis Institute because he may not hold to our view of scripture the way we would like. Um, but um, fortunately, we don't have to make that decision. So. Um, you know, one of the things that strikes me, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm always pushing it in the direction of evangelism. That's what you want me to do at the Institute. And you're pushing in discipleship, so we need each other. But um, I, I really marvel with the way the Lord chose to bless those radio broadcasts. And then when they were put together as a book, how the Lord has blessed that book. Lewis worked so it, it's always this intersection of what people do and what God does. Uh, Lewis and the people of the BBC worked really, really carefully to craft the script. I mean, there were all sorts of time constraints. There were also, I, I read this in another book about the whole forming of those radio broadcasts. There were concerns about the Nazis being able to tap into the radio and do some spying or whatever. So he had to craft things perfectly with with no breaks, no pauses, the way I'm pausing right now. Um, I mean, it, it's just amazing how carefully they thought through things. On the other hand, there is a supernatural work of God that drew people to listen to these radio broadcasts. One of my favorite uh, tidbits about this is for the 15 minutes before the radio broadcasts when Lewis spoke, what the BBC was broadcasting was the news in Norwegian. <laughs> 15 minutes of a foreign language being spoken. I, was there a tremendous Norwegian population in London during that time? I don't know. It just seems bizarre. But if people are just kind of, you know, listening to their radio, when they hear Norwegian, and I, and I apologize if this is offensive to people who are Norwegian. I don't mean it that way. I just think the typical English speaker would hear this, foreign language, and they would turn the radio dial, but they didn't. And God kept them listening. And it's just astonishing, I think. And 
I, I think that's a great encouragement for us of that God can use whatever we bring to the conversation and, and he can do miraculous things. Yes, no, no amen to that. And I, I think with C.S. Lewis, it is amazing uh, in that I think God used all of his life leading up to those broadcast talks. Uh, you know, first of all, his uh, wild journey, you might say, to the Christian faith, going from growing up in a Christian home, abandoning the faith, being an atheist, serving in World War One. Uh, actually, he actually uh, explored it into the, uh, the occult. <laughs> he looked at pantheism, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, Judaism. He explored everything. And so on the one hand, I think that helped prepare him. But then also the fact that uh, he ended up uh, speaking to uh, airmen in the Royal Air Force uh, for quite a while. And that helped him develop his, his, his style, his ability to communicate. But then also he had this gift for imagination and literature. And so he's just such a, an interesting character. He, he blended logic, imagination, and put it all together in a package that was God really has to use in phenomenal ways. And uh, there's stories of, of Lewis uh, giving his broadcast talks and the bartender in a pub in Britain telling all the soldiers to be quiet and because uh, Lewis is on. And he would he says, you got to listen to this bloke. And they would. They would be quiet for 15 minutes, hanging on to every word of C.S. Lewis. So God used those broadcasts when they were spoken. But then, as you mentioned, amazingly, uh, took the words that had been written down very carefully, and then he did made a few edits, but for the most part, um, that was packaged and then sent out. And interesting enough, since t the year 2000 till now, uh, Mere Christianity sold over 4 million copies in English, even more copies than it sold in the mid-50s of, of the 20th century. So his books are selling even more than ever. Last, He sold more books in, in 2020 than he did in 2019. Uh, so for some reason, his voice, God is still using to this day. And that's why I really believe that um, mere Christianity uh, coupled with scripture is a powerful, powerful discipleship tool. And why I wrote this book, Discipleship with C.S. Lewis, I really think we could really mentor and grow and disciple the people in our churches with this amazing tool. Uh, and if we could use some of the same language and illustrations and analogies of Lewis and and then um, take scripture to, to uh, deepen it. I think we could create a whole group of evangelists. You know, uh, people in our churches who go out and share the gospel with their neighbors through a book club, through a Bible study. Uh, uh, and I think that it offers up some really neat ways uh, to share your faith and really maybe a, a very friendly way of doing it. Uh, I mean, a lot of people know C.S. Lewis from his Chronicles of Narnia books or from the movies. So, you know, hey, why don't we have a, a book club and a study uh the guy who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, he, he happened to write a book about mere Christianity. It wouldn't be fun to study and see how uh, some of the different religions differ, uh, which he talks about. So I think it's a great tool, and uh, it's amazing how God has used this. It's been translated in 36 languages as well. And even in communist China to this day, it's actually many uh, people are reading it. I think it's one way uh, that people instead smuggle the gospel in, too, because it's not a, you know, C.S. Lewis is able sometimes to, uh, crash through uh, barriers because he's not a pastor, a theologian, maybe, and then because he wrote fiction. So uh, it's he's an amazing man. God really used him. He's a very unique person. He had a lot of flaws like all of us, but God used him in powerful ways. And I think he can do that for each one of us if we allow him to. Oh, there's so much more we could say, but we're going to wrap it up. I, I, I'm struck with two things in our discussion. One is I'm reminded of Lewis's humility. I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant mind, 
And he could have run circles around people intellectually so that after 30 seconds, very, very few people would even know what the world he's talking about. Um, and, and by the way, sometimes when I read his book, Miracles, I feel like that's what he's doing with me running. I, I, I understand very little of that book. But he chose to translate. He even called himself a translator. Yes. Uh, he chose to, I, I don't want to say dumb down because that's not right. No. But he, he spoke in the vernacular so that ordinary soldiers in the RAF, people hanging out in the pub, people without an educate college level uh, degree could understand him. Um, the other thing is he, he wasn't really primarily an evangelist. He was this Oxford scholar, Don literature professor, but he wanted to do the work of an evangelist to use the phrase from Timothy that Paul told Timothy. So even those of us who are the most introverted, who would like to stay at home in our just reading books and being, you know, just uh, on our own, God can use us in absolutely supernatural ways. Yeah. So, amen. I think uh, maybe what it comes down to is C.S. Lewis took Jesus' call seriously and then tried to to live and to think and act like Jesus. Uh, not perfectly, but one of the traits he picked up from Jesus uh, was the ability to take the truths of God and communicate them in through story, through analogy, through parable, and and doing it in a way that people could understand. You, think, you know, C.S. Lewis was, as an Oxford professor, was communicating with uh, working class soldiers. Well, C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, Jesus was God Himself, and He took a uh, uneducated bunch of fishermen and turned them into these disciples to turn the world upside down. In fact, people were so shocked by the eloquence. And the education of the of the of the early apostles. You know, how did these fishermen from Galilee get to be such an amazing communicators of truth? And it was because Jesus had taught them. And I think C.S. Lewis learned from Jesus, uh, and he's just trying to mimic a little bit of what Jesus did. I think we can do the same. And uh, the Lord will give us as well the words to say uh, to our neighbors, to our colleagues. And all we need to do, I think, is just pray. I think one prayer we can pray is, Lord, just give give me one person. Uh, this week that I could tell tell about Jesus uh, and 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 uh, help open up the door for me. Um, uh, and there, there's a movie Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you may have seen um, about a medic uh, in World War II, and and uh, he saved 80 or some Marines. But every time he dragged one back, he would say, "Lord, give me one more." And I just think if we just pray, Lord, help me reach one person for Christ. Uh, even this year, lead me to someone and help me to show the God. I believe the Lord will, will guide you and, and lead you, and, and he, he will equip you to do that. Amen. Boy, that is great. That is a, a great place for us to conclude. I, I want to recommend to our readers, uh, readers, listeners, uh, that, you, that you get a copy of Joel's book, Discipleship with C.S. Lewis. I want to encourage you to, to reread Mere Christianity with Joel's uh, workbook right next to you. And, and especially dig into those scripture passages that, that um, show the, the, the depths uh, behind these short chapters. And then use it in a small group or one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationship uh, and ask God to use you in ways far beyond anything you could even uh, imagine. So uh, we hope this, uh, this uh, podcast has been uh, helpful for you. We hope all of our materials at 
the C.S. Lewis Institute will help you. Um, please check out our website, cslewisinstitute.org. We have lots and lots of audio, visual, written uh, articles and materials there to help you grow. And we hope and pray that all of our uh, materials help you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Joel, thanks again for the time together today. And yeah, thank you so much, Randy. It was a pleasure.